Today we'll be reading from Romans chapter 11, verse 30, to Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Just as you, who were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so too they have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test, to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the, grace of God give, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. This is God's word. If uh, we've not met, my name's Matt Fuller. It'd be lovely to meet you uh, afterwards. Let me pray, and then we'll uh, look at this uh, together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that we are those who, while trusting in the Lord Jesus, we live on planet mercy, as uh, Callum Fury can put it. We are those who have received the wonder of your mercy. Father, help us understand more of what that is, so that as we'll look at this evening in this very simple little passage We stop being conformed to the pattern of this world, but have our minds renewed by you so that we understand how wonderful you are and want to live your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So sometimes at um, uh, Connect, so a session then, um, uh, one tonight, I think the, the, uh, uh, looking at the, the, the church and how the church operates, et cetera, et cetera, the question will come up, or we'll think about the question, so what is the culture of the church at CCM? And I always find that's a quite a hard question, because I mean, how do you answer that succinctly? What's the culture like? Because every church, every good church, has its own culture because it's determined by who comes, the people, their backgrounds, uh, as well as how much it's shaped by the Word of God. Um, part of me wants to say, well, just stick around and you'll, you'll sort of learn what the culture is like. Um, and of course, that's true. But then if you stay here and you only spend, people, only spend time with people 
who don't encapsulate the culture of what I want CCM to be like, well, then there would be a problem. You wouldn't understand. But here in Romans chapter 12, here is a very good description of the culture we're aspiring to at this church. Of course, we get it wrong. Of course, we're works in progress. But here is what we're aspiring to here in Romans chapter 12. And so for the next month, we're just in this one chapter. Here is certainly what I as pastor would hope for, long for, pray for, that we look like. We look like this, Romans 12. Now, um, so for only a month, we're just thinking about church culture. Uh, from the scriptures. Why do that now? It's a bit random. Well, why do it now? Because COVID's over. Uh, apparently, at the end of the month, it's officially over. Um, um, and the, the, the government says it, so there it is. Um, uh, so we want to say it's a bit of a reset. It's a weirdy time we've had over the last couple of years. So it's good just to sort of stop and think again. And partly, of course, new people have joined the church. Uh, and so it's good to be sort of deliberate and, and, and upfront about the culture of a church such as ours. So that's good to do it, I think, at a time such as this. It's a bit, it's mildly eccentric to sort of jump into the book of Romans at uh, chapter 12, rather than have a sort of long run-up of 11 chapters, but I think you'll cope. Uh, chapter 12 does begin a new section, chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, uh, these two verses we'll look at tonight, verses 1 and 2, they're the headline over most of the rest of the book particularly chapters 12 and 13, but in a sense all the way to chapter 15. They're the headline. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, brothers and sisters. So he's not primarily addressing individuals. So here's what you're to learn and you're to learn and you're to learn. But us. Hey, gang, this is what I want the church to look like. Here's what it should look like in view of God's mercies. And it is evident throughout the letter that he wants to change the culture of the church at Rome. I mean, the two primary purposes, uh, briefly, one is to unite the two uh, ethnic groups and sort of social groups of Jew and Gentile, to unite those two together so that they collaborate in supporting his mission, his missionary journey, particularly as he goes west into Spain. That's a sort of driving purpose uh, of the letter. But tonight, then, just these two verses at the beginning of chapter 12, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the call is to be... Living sacrifices, the whole of our lives lived for the glory of God. We'll work through it very briefly, a, a why, a what, and a who. Uh, excuse me, a why, what, and a how. That's what we'll do. Uh, what are we going to do? We're going to be living sacrifices. Why? Because, or in view of God's mercy, what does that mean to offer the whole of your life? How does that happen? if you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's work through that. I mean, how long can we go for two verses? We'll see. First then, the call to be a living sacrifice, why do it? It's in view of God's mercy. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, plural actually, mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I urge you, 
in view of God's mercies. Now, I want to just say the whole of the letters about that. Acutely, the references are down there. Acutely, chapters 9 to 11 have been talking about the mercy or the mercies of God. Doesn't actually, the word doesn't appear in chapters 1 to 8. Conceptually, it is there. What, are, what does that mean? Well, it must mean at least three things, it seems to me, that the, the mercies of God coming at this stage of the letter. Uh, the first would be because of God's kindness to you. He has, if you're a Christian, shown mercy to you. He has not given you what you ought to have. He has not and will not punish you, judge you for your sins. He will not do that because that has fallen upon Jesus. That wonderful sacrifice of the Lord Jesus as a substitution in our place. That is an act of mercy. So it must mean at least that, I would have thought. But secondly, I would have thought because his mercy is to be praised. So a bit beyond that. So uh, put it that way in, uh, in the uh, chapter 15 of the letter. So Romans 15. Uh, Christ has become a servant of the Jews that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it's written, therefore, I'll praise you among the Gentiles. I'll sing the praises of your name. We'll sing the praises of God's name because of his mercy, those two in parallel. So, yes, of course, supremely his work in Jesus, but because of his mercy is part of his name, that's his mercy as well. In a sense, it's his character to be merciful, to show kindness to the undeserving, to show compassion to those who are lost. That's just who he is. He's kind. He's merciful um, in view of God's mercy. So, yeah, because of his mercy to you in Christ, but a bit beyond that as well, because he is merciful, that's his character. Uh, and thirdly, because he's brought you to life. This language of offering your bodies, we're going to get there in a moment, but still in verse 1. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies. It's recurrent language in the book of Romans, particularly chapter 6. And uh, so the references again, they, they scribbled them down. But in Romans chapter 6, here's one of them. Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And second time, offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So there why offer yourselves to God? Because you've been brought from death to life. The, the, the point in chapter 6 is you're different now. When you become a Christian, you, you move from spiritual death and you have spiritual life. So you can live differently now. It is possible for you to live differently now. So when he says in view of God's mercies, it's not just because of what Jesus has done, but because you can live differently. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices, because you can now. You couldn't before you were a Christian, but now you are a Christian, you can live differently. Okay, look, so there's at least those three senses. So what? Um, well, what I don't want you to read verse chapter 12 and verse 1 as is a sort of merely language of debt. And I think it's possible, and some do live the Christian life that way. Or because of what God has done for you, for goodness sake, will you do something for him? 
Um, now, it's understandable. We think that way. Often, to my shame, that's how my house operates, say, particularly with a teenager. Oh, for goodness sake, after all I've done for you, can you not just help me for 10 minutes bag up some rubbish in the garden? After all I've done for you, for goodness sake. Oh, well, all right, I will. Um, I mean, I'm afraid that is how our house operates. Um, but that's not how the Christian life is meant to operate. God is not saying, no, seriously, after all I've done for you in Christ, can you pull your finger out and be a living sacrifice? I mean, just, just for 10 minutes in the garden, all right? Can you just give me 10? That sort of, well, I mean, I don't really want to be a living sacrifice, but I suppose I ought to for at least 10 minutes a day. Because of what? Not that. Not that. Okay. That's not what he's talking about here. It's not just an emotive appeal. Oh, come on, given what, God, given what Christ has done for you. Come on, you, you've got to live that way. It's more than, it, it, there is that, but it's also, you can. You can live this way because he's moved you from death to life. You can, because of God's mercy into your life, he's changed you. You can live differently now. You don't have to live as you lived before. And you see him now, don't you? you? You see God as merciful now, as the one who has compassion upon the helpless, such as you. So all of those, in view of all of those, so don't just hear this as a, well, I'm afraid you've got to because you're in debt to God. So, you know, I'm afraid, even though you don't want to, can you just make some sacrifices for him this week, please? Not that. In view of how he's changed you, as well as how he's loved you, and because of who he is, in view of God's mercies, plural, I don't know why it's not translated plural, mercies, offer. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. That's why, in view of God's mercy or mercies. Okay, what are we to do? In view of God's mercies, chapter 12, verse 1, second thing, what? Well, offer the whole of your life. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Bodies, it doesn't mean like your body but not your brain, because obviously he's going to say in verse 2, your, your, your mind is involved as well. Offer your bodies, offer your parts, as he said in, in, in chapter 6. Offer your eyes and your mouth and your hands and your feet. That is, what you look at, what you say, what you do, where you go, all of that, everything you are, everything you are and all that you do, offer that to the Lord. A living sacrifice. Oh, it is a sacrifice. It's cost. Yeah. But daily. But you also say, look, this is your true and proper worship. Well, it's very rare. I should trouble you with uh, Greek, the New Testament written in Greek. But this is quite enjoyable. This true and proper worship translates one word. You'll remember this one. It's logikos, from which we get the English word logical. Okay, yes, good, good. Okay, not complicated. It's, this is just a logical thing to do. If you understand God's mercies, this is your 
logical act. This is your reasonable act. This is kind of like the obvious thing. It's a no-brainer that you'll do this if you get God's mercies. It's just the most sensible thing to do. Well, why so? Well, think of it in this way. Two scenarios uh, in the working world. Scenario A, bad boss. So bad boss. Bad boss says, if you work incredibly hard, if you give me 150 hours of your week, are there that many hours? Yeah, I'm all right. Just. Um, if you give me, you know, ridiculous number, if you give me 120 hours in your week, I'll give you a, a double-digit pay rise every year. I'll give you, uh, if you hit your targets, I'll give you a two-week holiday on my private island in the British Virgin Islands uh, every year. And you'll get use of one of the fleet of sports cars for your own. That's what bad boss says. And so you think, oh, okay, I'll I'll work really hard then. And year one, you get nothing, even though you do 120 hours a a week. Year two, you get nothing. At that point, it's not reasonable to keep sacrificing hours to the firm. It's just not sensible. It's not logical. It's not reasonable because the boss is a a shyster. He's a liar. He's, He's just taking you for a ride. That's not sensible, reasonable, logical. Scenario two, good boss. Good boss never makes promises beyond what he's able to fulfill. Good boss is an outstanding mentor, uh, trains you up, uh, just gets it perfectly right, stretches you but never overburdens you. Uh, Good boss makes sure that you get paid before he or she takes a pay packet. Good boss. And then says, look, next week's going to be really busy. Can you put in a few more hours? Well, yeah, that's just reasonable. That's just logical. He, he, she, they're just such a great boss. It's logical that you do that. Now, before the staff think, well, which one are you, Matt? Well, no, I'm not. The, Jesus. Jesus is the boss in that illustration. It's just given who he is, given what he's done, given how he's changed you, given how he's mercifully taken hell so you can have heaven, it's just obvious, it's logical, reasonable that you'll live for him. That's what Paul is saying. And so when we consider his mercies, it's natural to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. It would be weird not to do so. It'd be um, self-defeating not to do so, limiting not to do so. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, you can put a smile on the face of the living God. Practically, what does it mean? Well, we've got three more weeks, and the rest of the chapter spells it out. Uh, There are other places which obviously use the same language of sacrifices pleasing to God. Uh, Romans 14, verse 18, if you're a Christian and you don't judge your brothers and sisters, that's a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, uh, Philippians 4, 18, if you sacrificially give your money um, to the work of the gospel, that is a sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 15, if you use your lips to praise God uh, verbally, then that is a sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. If you share your resources with other Christians, that's a sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. So there's some sort of explicit... But the whole point here is it's everything. Offer everything. Don't limit this. 
in the Old Testament, sacrifice is limited. It's, there's a sacred space, the temple. There's sacred time, the Sabbath. That's when you do your worship sacrifice thing. That's when you do your worship. You get to the, this side of the work of Jesus Christ, the whole of life, everywhere you go, every moment of your week has the potential to be worship. Not is, because tomorrow afternoon at 3 p.m. you could be lying and stealing and cheating. That's not worship of the Lord. Um, but potentially, potentially, every moment you have. Offer your eyes, what you look at, lips, what you say, hands, what you do, feet, where you go. Offer them to the Lord. Lots of churches, uh, so a bit more formal than ours, which is probably not that hard, um, will conclude their Sunday gatherings from the front. It'll be, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And then the congregation says, in the name of Christ, amen. Um, well, there's something very good about that. Actually, we're going to do it for the next month. We're going to finish every one of these Romans 12, and we're going to say, well, the leader, uh, Scott, will say, go in peace to love and serve and worship the Lord. Go and worship. Go the rest of your week and worship. And you will all reply, in the name of Christ, amen. Okay, just so you know. We don't need to rehearse it, but you just know uh, what you're doing. Because we go. And we go... And in the way we treat our patients, in the way we treat our pupils, in the way we treat our colleagues, we go and we worship. And in the things we talk about and in how we speak of people, in how we speak of Jesus, we go and we worship all week long with all that we are. Why do that in view of God's mercy? Be a living sacrifice. What? Offer the whole of your life. How? How do we do that? Because it seems a bit more than perhaps most of us are doing at the moment. I mean, all of us are doing at the moment. How? Well, you need to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Offered bodies come from renewed minds. So verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So very obviously there's a, a negative and a positive. Do not, do not conform to the pattern of this world. In order to conform to the pattern of this world, you just have to do nothing. Naturally, we will all conform to the pattern of this world. We'll like the things our culture likes. We'll dislike the things our culture likes. We'll just be conformed to this world. And if you don't do anything about it, that's who you are. I've used this before. In fact, I think I was shown this about 20 years ago. It must have been doing the rounds. But, um, uh, Will, have we got it? This is, I love this. Um, they're watermelons. Okay, they're watermelons. That's not obviously naturally how a watermelon grows. But if you want to store them and transport them more efficiently, you grow them in square containers and a watermelon. You've seen it before? I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a crazy picture. It's, 
But if you're squeezed into a mold, that's what you look like. And it's really easy just to be a square melon. And if we don't engage, if we don't do what is asked of us here, we're just square melons, squeezed into the mold, conformed to the pattern of this world. And to be a square melon, you just do nothing. And you'll be conformed. So don't do that. But rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that look like? Can I say what it's not? It's not be transformed by the informing of your mind. It begins there, but it's more than that. Because if you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, then, here's how you know it's happened, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Which doesn't mean then you'll be able to guess. Oh, I don't know, where does God want me to live? Oh, I guess it's here because I've got a renewed mind. It's not guessing where he wants you to live. It's not Singapore, uh, long term. Uh, it's not guessing... Um, um, it's not guessing where he wants you to live. It's not guessing what job he wants you to do. You're not guessing if he wants you to uh, marry or stay single or any of those things. You're not guessing any of that. Because the sense here of testing and approving what God's will is, you'll recognize that his way is good, pleasing, and perfect. You see, it's not just you think right if you have a renewed mind, but you value right. You see, there are two stages here. You have to know what God says and approve of it. That's a renewed mind. You need to know what he says and say, yeah, yeah that's good. That's right. I, I, I see that that's the best way. So look, two mistakes you can make here. Uh, the first would be you never look in the Bible. You never engage with what God actually says, in which case you will be conformed to the world. You're just, if you don't engage with, with what God says in the Scriptures, you're just going to be conformed. And if I can gently put it to some in the room, guys, brothers, sisters, you need to spend time with the Lord in his word because you're just a square melon at the moment. Let's be honest. You are conformed to the pattern of the world with just the tiniest hint of veneer of Christianity about you. Come on, let's be honest. Unless you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, you are, you will be remaining in this pattern of the world. So you've got to engage with what the Lord says in the scriptures. But beyond that, a renewed mind approves of God's will. Um, you think of it in these terms. Uh, I could say to you, uh, my mind has been informed that exercise is a good thing. I have read voluminous papers and articles, and I discern that regular exercise is good for their body, 
not this body, obviously, uh, is good for the, the, the body and it's good for the mind. It has all sorts of um, health benefits. Do you, do you regularly exercise? Oh, no. Oh, no, I just prefer telly. Okay. So my mind has been informed of the benefits of exercise, but I've not been renewed by that truth. By contrast, you know, my brain has been informed of the benefits of exercise. Do you do, you do any exercise? Oh, yeah, I've taken up running uh, uh, seven times a week, and I swim in the morning. Um, you know, I swim the length of the Thames, and whatever. Um, no, I've taken up regular exercise, and I, I know now that it's good, it's pleasing. I, I feel the benefits of it. I experience that. You see, there's a difference between having your mind informed and renewed. So how do we move from one informed, which you have to do, to add renewed. Well, that is God's work. The only other place in the New Testament this verb renewed, renewing, is used is in Titus chapter 3, where Paul can write there that the Lord saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So if you want to have your mind renewed, you need to A, have it informed by the truth of God, but B, you need to say, Lord, please change me. Please would your spirit change me. Please would this truth make a difference to me. I mean, you, know, you do know that, right? Uh, certainly for myself, every morning, uh, as I stumble into a chair uh, with a cup of coffee and sit down to read the Bible, my prayer is always, I'm not, I'm not, not nothing original, my prayer is always, Lord, I know I need to meet with you this morning. I know because otherwise my day is a shocker. I don't have the resources to get through the day. Lord, I know I need to meet with you this morning. Would you help? Would you meet with me as I open the scriptures? Would I see you? Would I see how good you are? Would the truths that I'm reading about make a difference to me? Or as the psalmist puts it, open my eyes so that I may see wonderful things in your law. Not... Open my eyes so I can read what the Bible says. You have to do that. But beyond that, to have a renewed mind, Lord, help, change me through this. Otherwise, well, information can just make you proud. You don't just need to be proud. That does you very little good. You want to have a renewed mind. You've got to open the Bible, know what God says. And then, Lord, would I see this as true? Would I recognize your will is good, it's pleasing, it's perfect? Okay, as we finish, three things then. What practically then, what does this mean for us as a church, if this is meant to be uh, about the culture of the church at CCM? Uh, three little things. One, we say as a church that we're growing disciples. It appears on all the literature on the website, etc. We're growing disciples. To state the obvious, that is... Um, that's a verb. That's something we do. We are about the work of growing disciples. We want to see people become Christians. Yeah, look, the roof is leaking. Very good. Um, I can show you photos if you want. We've lost a lot of tiles on Friday. Um, but there it is. Uh, it's a verb. We're growing disciples. But it's an adjective too. It describes what we are. What sort of disciples are we? Growing ones as a church. Do, 
to make an obvious point from, I mean, it's very obvious here in Romans 12, but let me just say it out loud. The Bible expects that we're transformed. There's no concept of a Christian believer saying, yeah, look, I've been a Christian for about 10 years, and I'm pretty happy with the level of transformation I've reached. I mean, I think I've, I've hit my equilibrium here. The sort of level of sacrifice I'm making, I've sort of, I've worked it out, and this is about okay. I don't need to go anymore. Don't need to push on any harder. This is just sort of within my range. That, that's just, that's not okay. <laughs> that's not normal. That makes no sense at all. I met with someone last week who said, look, I haven't become a Christian just to drift aimlessly. Correct. Sadly, some do. But they can't be right. We're growing disciples. There's the first. We want to be growing disciples. Second little thing, we want to approve of God's will, not resent it. Not just know it. Uh, you could come to this church for a while, I guess, and know more of the Bible that's great, but I want you to approve of it because that's what we're meant to do. That's normal Christian living. We approve of the Scriptures. That's what happens. You know, resentful obedience is not proper worship. I mean, to clarify, it's better than disobedience, okay? And maybe sometimes it's all we can muster up. Don't disobey. Don't disobey me. But resentful obedience... Well, if the Bible says this, I suppose I ought to do it. I don't really like it. That's not, that's, not, that's not what is being spoken about here. The Lord wants joyful obedience. He wants his people to say, I read you the scriptures and I think, yes, that's right. You know, this afternoon, I was doing, next to the getaway, is a seminar on dating. Um, and I've been dragged out of retirement to, uh, to give a seminar on, on dating. Um, but, uh, you know, thinking about what it was going to go into and et cetera. I don't want people to come along and just say, okay, well, now I understand what the Bible has to say about dating. I mean, that's good. But my prayer is that people say, okay, I see that what God says, I see that is best. I'm going to do his way. I see that it's best. So look, we want to be growing disciples. We want to approve of God's will, not just do it resentfully or begrudgingly. Uh, and lastly, we want to do this because... We're aware of God's wonderful mercies. That we act, that we change, that we're transformed in view of God's mercies. Because we know in our hearts we live on planet mercy. Such a sweet, innocent phrase. But that's where the Christian lives. Brothers and sisters, can I urge you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That is your logical, obvious, reasonable act of worship. Let me lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, that, that must be our prayer, that even as we hear your voice from the Scriptures tonight, we don't just nod and say, oh, I've learned a Greek word. We don't just nod uh, and so oh, I see there's different things going on in this passage. We don't just, so, but we see that your way is best. We read the scriptures and say, yes, the Lord's way, I, I see it. I cherish it. I see that it's wonderful. I see that it's so evident, evidently reasonable and logical 
to offer myself as a living sacrifice because of who God is, because he's moved me from death to life, because Jesus has shown mercy, compassion to me in my helpless, sinful state. Father, would you open our eyes so that we know this, so that our minds are renewed rather than just being conformed to this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.